After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Please move it. Please move it. Please move it. I got to admit this. I made a mistake. I think I'm bang on this. I'm bang on. Okay, gentlemen, play ball. Watch it here. Good checking, guys. Good play. Oh, Josh, before we really get into this week's edition of the podcast, I have I have a question. I'm a little I'm a little soft on the memory of this one, I think, but I do want to I know you'll have the answer for me, but I am pretty sure that I have heard someone say at some point, I can't even attribute the quote, there's no fighting in the playoffs. Have you have you heard such a thing or am I delusional here? There's, yeah, there's there's no fighting and and penalties are down, right? Penalties right. are down, whistles are away. No, it doesn't happen. It's playoff hockey. They don't call anything, right? I, I was sure that I had heard someone say that. But what we have seen in the first few nights of the Stanley Cup playoffs seem to contradict that statement, wouldn't you say? Penalties are up, fights are up, heck, suspensions, coaches' challenges, major penalties, reviews. We've got it all so far, Todd, and it's and it's early. Ah, yes. And that's the thing. It's the postseason, and this is what everyone waits for. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. Please make sure that you are following us on our social channels. You get Josh at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and on Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports, again, on Twitter and on Instagram. On this week's episode, okay, it was an eventful opening night and first few nights of the playoffs. First night, first suspension. Fines happen in the postseason as well. It was close, but they said no goal, and who says there is no fighting in the playoffs? We have seen examples of it, and I would say even at times there was the odd pummeling that took place. Some pummelings, some uh, some unsuspecting punches, and boy, a whole lot of action after the whistle. Do you know what I want to make recognition of, though? I believe it was just six and a half minutes into the postseason, and we had the first chant of, ref, you suck. I think that may be a new record. Uh, you know, I, it was inevitable that it was going to happen <laughs> at some point. A, a missed call or a call that someone thought was undeserved, but the crowd was into it, the fans were into it, the teams were into it, and uh, apparently not not in agreement with some of the calls. It was early, but it, it's the, the passion of playoff hockey, Todd. It's true, and that is what we all love about the NHL postseason. So there was lots of advance hype on the Toronto-Tampa series. It did not disappoint in the early going. It was kind of uh, expectation of prison yard rules at times for this game and kind of started early with Kyle Clifford playing the role of Nazem Kadri in Maple Leafs playoffs past. Clifford earned himself a major boarding penalty and a game misconduct and a one-game suspension, the full trifecta there, for his late hit from behind on Ross Colton of the Tampa Bay Lightning. This was such an easy call to make. Easy call for the on-ice officials, easy call for player safety, who at this point have 43 blue for the Leafs just kind of circled in their playoff <laughs> suspension list, following in Kadri's footsteps wearing the same number there. But it's 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 not a hit you can make. It, that's what Sheldon Keefe said after the game, and, and he's spot on. It was a, a dangerous, dangerous boarding penalty, and Clifford did his part to help make that the most penalty-filled playoff game in seven years and uh, the most penalized game all season. So, yeah, a, a crazy start to it, but those minutes were earned, Todd, and uh, Clifford also earned that that suspension. So the right move, an easy call, like you said, in the playoffs, one game's worth a lot, and that's what he gets. 
He was not the only one who got some extra attention for the shenanigans that took place in that game. This was full of uh, cheap shots and intimidation tactics. Corey Perry, Pat Maroon, both of the Lightning and Wayne Simmons of the Toronto Maple Leafs were all fined the maximum allowable under the collective bargaining agreement for their role in this. And uh, again, these were pretty easy fines to distribute because of the nonsense that took place. Yeah, it is. And if, if you asked me to make bets on odds of who would be picking up fines in this series, I think those three guys would have all been <laughs> on my list for one reason or another. They seem to find their way into the review queue for player safety. But easy one. Again, this is just a league. This is player safety afterwards, just sending messages of nonsense that won't be tolerated. And the officials called plenty of penalties. So, you know, they were trying to maintain that that standard during the game of what would be allowed and what wouldn't and, and player safety just reinforcing let's let's try to keep it clean let's try to keep it legit and avoid some of the nonsense that's going on out there so we'll we'll see if that message was received well we'll wait and see how this progresses in this series there there was also a, a look that took place of whether or not a goal was to count this one got oh so close but there was no white ice visible between the puck and the goal line in this game. And I, I really blew it up and tried to look at it closely, but could not find any space to see that this puck had officially crossed the goal line. It was close, though. It was really close. And this is when you really this is when the league is happy that they've gone to the lengths that they have when it comes to some of the cameras. We know that they've got overhead cameras. They have multiple in the net. They have one on the back bar and they have two in the crossbar looking down. And that's actually one of what we saw Philip Forsberg break last week with his shot that broke the camera on the crossbar. Well, it came in handy now because it gave a great overhead view of the puck not crossing the line. And it was very close, Todd, but they're looking for that sliver of white ice between the goal line and the puck to confirm that it has completely crossed. If it doesn't, if it's not conclusive, you, you can't turn it over. And in this case, it, it wasn't enough to make it a good goal. Not to be outdone on opening night, but there were a lot of expectations with the Minnesota-St. Louis series as well. And this was a bit of a lopsided game, bit of a physical game, bit of a frustration game, especially for Jared Spurgeon, who delivered what we could call a very nasty, brutal cross-check to the ankle of Blues' Pavel Bushnevich. He, too, was fined the maximum allowed under the CBA. And... I'm thinking if this was a regular season game, he should have and would have been suspended for that. Absolutely. And and I'm not convinced that he shouldn't have even in a playoff game just because of the egregious nature of it. This is not a slightly late hit. This isn't something where a guy blew somebody up when maybe he needed to minimize contact because his back was turned. This was away from the play. This was a guy down on the ice with a cross check delivered to the back of his ankle. There's nothing that's coming out of this other than a potential injury. So to me, this is one of those that you look at and you go, all that could have happened is that there is intent to injure based on his action here. There wasn't a hockey play. There wasn't anything good to come out of this from a hockey standpoint. So to me, I, a minimum one game, I don't have a hard time assessing that even in the playoffs purely because of how egregious this was. Yes, this was strictly I'm pissed off and I'm going to take out my frustration on you. If an injury occurs, well, so be it. Didn't I, I really think seem that's, like that's not far <laughs> off from what Spurgeon's comments were, actually. <laughs> I didn't mean to quote him there. It just sort of <laughs> happened that way. So uh, a, a few other games that we we could and should talk about. And the, the Rangers-Penguins game, 
that's a that's an instant classic on on the first night of of the Stanley Cup playoffs. How how unbelievable is the atmosphere at MSG? There haven't been playoff games there for five years. You've got Louis Domingue, who is the third string goalie, who comes in, does an unbelievable interview post game after winning it in triple overtime, saying, "Yeah, I had a big meal." And he tells Emily Kaplan because she asked, "What did you have?" And he says, "Spicy pork and broccoli. Not good." And if <laughs> if that is not his new nickname, Spicy Pork. I don't know. I don't know what's going on here with uh, with the Penguins. That was that was an unbelievable set of circumstances. First of all, uh, it was crazy. I can't even imagine being there in overtime, in intermission, in the locker room. You're the backup goalie. You're not going in. You're you're getting a little little rumbling in your tummy, and you decide <laughs> to go for the spicy pork because what's the difference? You're on the bench, right? <laughs> not so fast. Well, this this serves as a reminder that. Players between periods of lengthy games like this do hydrate. Some will eat more than others, but you should be careful about what it is that you do consume. I mean, the spicy pork worked out in this case for, for Louis Domingue, but this is the same for officials as well. They're trying to do the same thing because they don't get time to rest on the bench. They've got to stay on the ice. Yep, you're out there for the full 60 or 80 or 100 or 120 minutes as these games go into triple overtime. There's no break. There's no rest. There is at least one backup official at each game. So there is somebody there, but that guy's coming in as a worst case scenario with an injury or something like that. So you're doing what you can to hydrate during intermission, you're you're grabbing a snack, keeping the carbs up, grabbing a banana, whatever the case may be, to keep that energy up. Because you're right, Todd, you don't get a shift change. And even though the players start to slow down as time goes on, as an official, you, you can't afford that luxury because you need to be in the right place to make the right call. I know we didn't see penalties in overtime, but we saw the teams tighten up and we saw a lot less going on. Nobody, nobody wanted to be that player to commit that overtime infraction. And I, I think the officials called it right. But, you know, a lot of that is preparation during the intermissions to make sure you're in the right place. You're you're staying flexible. You're staying ready. You're staying energized to make those calls, even as those games stretch on. A couple of things I wanted to talk about from this game. The Penguins lost Ricard Raquel after a giant hit from Rangers' Ryan Lindgren. He was along the boards. It was called a major, reviewed, and reduced to a two-minute minor for roughing. I'm not sure that I agree with the call on this one. I thought it was late, that the puck was gone, so it was interference. And I also didn't like that Raquel was being somewhat guided into the hit by another Ranger player. It looked to me like the the elbow came up a little bit. I don't think it was a deliberate attempt, but it looked like it did catch him on the chin a little bit. So I'd, I'd have been okay if this was a major penalty. I'm with you, Todd. I actually thought it was going to be, and I guess to a certain extent we were right. It was a major penalty when they initially called it. It was a major on the ice, but under Rule 38, the league takes a look at any major penalties that are called, majors matches, and the officials have an opportunity to do a review. And in this case, they decided to downgrade that to a minor penalty. It has to be for the same infraction. So what we're looking at here was perhaps they felt that the head wasn't the main point of contact, that that Lindgren contacted the chest of Raquel first and that there was head contact incidental to what would otherwise be a legal body check. So there, there are some options there that they have where maybe they felt that it wasn't as much of a headshot. Now, we see the outcome, unfortunately, Raquel's head snaps back and whether he suffered a head injury on the play as a result of chest contact or head contact, it's it, it's immaterial. They're looking to punish the actual act, not necessarily the outcome, no matter how unfortunate it is. So the officials downgraded it. And based on player safety's lack of response to tack on a fine or a suspension, it, it looks like they agreed. 
There was also the first coach's challenge of the postseason in this Rangers-Pens game. Came when it looked like Capocacco had scored the go-ahead goal, just a couple of minutes remaining in the game. However, the Pens immediately challenged the call for goalie interference, and the the call was or was was that there was goalie interference and the goal was removed. It it looked like Brian Dumoulin was pursuing Kako. I I don't know if he gave him a a shove, but if he did, it wasn't much. Regardless of Dumoulin's actions, it appeared that there was a there was a giant collision that was going to take place <laughs> in the crease. Yep the 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 train tracks are going right through the top of the crease and. I won't argue with Ranger fans who've been saying that Dumoulin pushed him. He absolutely did. There's no question Dumoulin provided contact on the backside of Kako. And I think the league knows that. What they looked at was, was Dumoulin's contact sufficiently changing Kako's trajectory to push him into the goalie? Or was Kako going to run right through the goaltender in either case? And I think they felt that, A, he was always going to contact the goaltender. So, while the rule does allow for situations where the defending player pushes an attacking player into the goalie to not count as contact for the purposes of goaltender interference, I think the league felt that there was no way Kako was going to avoid contact and that he didn't make that reasonable effort to avoid contact. So in this case, even though there was pressure from Dumoulin, even though he gave him a shove from behind, what what Kako had done or the path he was taking was always going to result in contact. And in those circumstances, you have to wave off the goal. There was another coach's challenge in the Wild Blues series. It looked like uh, this uh, game two was uh, lopsided as well, but this one in favor of Minnesota. It looked like Joel Erickson Eck had scored a hat trick in, in game two, but St. Louis ruined that celebration with a challenge for offside. When, when you look at the video, it was pretty easy rule, but it's, it's unfortunate because it took away a, a hat trick from Joel Erickson Eck and it was, you know, all these people lost their hats out on the ice and the, the goal was taken back. It was uh, that was a fun moment, right? Everybody's throwing the hats. You're all excited. You're all celebrating and uh, not so much. So uh, a weird one. I think it was one of the clearest offsides possible. He was was well ahead of the puck and one that I wish they would have caught in real time. It was so far over the line that I, I would almost expect them to. So glad they caught it afterwards. But I did notice one thing, Todd, on this play that that raises questions for me. There was a change of possession. So we always talk with folks who don't like the offside challenge of, hey, let there be a timer. You know, let's go 30 seconds after the offside. After that, it doesn't matter. And I don't like the timer because it puts a clock in there or something else that we're going to check. But to me, a change of possession negates the zone entry. And that's not how the NHL rulebook has it. So this was called correctly by the letter of the rulebook. But when the Blues took possession of the puck and moved it along, I think that should wipe out your ability to challenge because the Blues had the puck. And now anything that happens after that is coming off of their possession, not necessarily the zone entry. I will argue the contrary side of this because in a sense, you're applying a statute of limitations to this offense. The puck never or the play never should have continued in the first place, which means there would not, it wouldn't have been a change of possession. So I I, I see the argument you're making but I will contradict it with the the legalese that <laughs> you never should have been there in the first place. 
This is true, and and I guess the same would apply to anything that happened after the fact, even after they cleared the zone. So they they look at it right now under those lines of the zone entry is contained by when the puck enters. And you're right, that's the legalese right now. But if if there is a change to be made, forget timers, forget anything like that. I I think this is the area you'd consider. And maybe you're right. Maybe because that possession wouldn't have happened without the zone entry, that's the way we go. But I think if you are looking to make any tweak to plays eligible for an offside challenge, I think that's where you go. Good. Let's add another layer to the rule book. That's why. <laughs> oh, then, okay. we're, then we're going to argue whether they had possession and we'll have to review that. Well, oh, no. Uh, that that happens on every delayed penalty. So yes. you're going to have a discussion about whether or not that's possession. OK, there's there was another situation in the Bruins Kane series that's become rather nasty in a very short period of time. David Pasternak ran into Carolina goaltender Antti Ranta early in game number two. He was pursuing the puck that Ranta has collected and was going to shoot back up the ice and Pasternak sees what's happening, tries to adjust his direction and maybe make a play on the puck. He loses his balance a little, but there is definitely contact. He raised his arms up. I don't know whether that's to, to block the puck or not, but he did conk him right in the coconut and Ranta fell to the ice he cut his lip. He didn't return. So they're already without Frederick Anderson. So that means Pyotr Kochetkov comes into the game. He's played only two NHL games, but he was great. The Canes won the game. But Pat, again, Pasternak was penalized on the play, originally called a major. But after review, it was reduced to a minor penalty. This is a difficult one to filter down to understand what the call could or should be. I thought it was more than a minor but I'm not sure if it's a major penalty. And that, Todd, is the challenge, especially on this play. So if we break it down and we look at what happened, as you mentioned, Pasternak's going into the zone. He's got speed. It looks like he's trying to pressure Ranta to move the puck faster. Maybe he's looking for him to move it up the boards. Then he braces for impact that Ranta may be shooting the puck right at him. So he doesn't want to. So he wants to protect himself, maybe deflect the puck and keep it in the attacking zone. When he did that, he loses the ability to turn, right? He lifts his body up. He pulls his arms in. So I think now he's on a crash course with the goaltender. There's little he can do. He sticks his arms out to try to brace for impact, catches Ranta in the mask. It's an unfortunate injury. When we look at roughing and how the or interference and how the penalties are called, the degree of violence of the impact is what we're looking as the differentiator between a minor and a major penalty. I can't say there was a huge degree of impact. I I can possibly argue that Pasternak attempted to minimize contact. He couldn't get out of the way. He didn't get out of the way. So I don't think he intended to make contact necessarily, and he certainly wasn't delivering a hard body check. Uh, he didn't avoid it. So I think the major is out because that degree of violence simply wasn't there. We're only left with a minor penalty. There's really no other option. You, we can't just make up a double minor. You can't assess anything else. Not calling the major, I think, was the right call. It feels like there should be more, especially with an injury on the play, especially with the significance of an injury to a goaltender in the Stanley Cup playoffs, no less. But the rule book says it's based on degree of violence. This wasn't a particularly violent hit. So all we're left with is a minor penalty. And, and that's the call the officials made after review. This is a difficult situation for the officials. It's the playoffs, so of course it's amplified. But this is a good il illustration of... You have the rule book, which is black and white, and many will suggest, well, you've got to call according to 
it's on or it's off or it's black or it's white, but there's so much room for interpretation in the rule book. And this is a good illustration of all of the different pieces that you have to look at in a game situation. You have to look at, you have to understand, you have to know what it is. And for these officials, knowing the difference between whether you're calling a roughing or an illegal check to the head or an interference, once you call that as your major penalty, if you're downgrading it, it has to be downgraded to the same penalty as a minor. So there's different thresholds. There's different interpretations for each one of those. And it's important to know the rule book inside and out, what you're calling, how to approach it. And I, I will say, being that this was the second major penalty, the second review, and the second that was reduced from a major to a minor penalty, good to see the officials using the technology they have. Now, whether that's a change in approach to call the more severe to allow the video review, I don't know. But it's it's been good to see them you know, to your point, Todd, you have to know the rule book inside and out. And these guys do, despite what some think. Yes. So having that second look becomes even more important in, in critical situations like this. Other situations in this game, Carolina's Andrei Svechnikov rocked Hampus Lindholm as the Bruins defenseman was carrying the puck out from behind the net. Uh, he, he looked up to find this <laughs> this mass coming toward him and it was a huge collision but it was a perfectly legal check much much like the the situation we talked about earlier with involving Ricky Raquel is legal check it's unfortunate that Lindholm left the game did not return and I'm not sure when he's going to come back but but you can't just penalize the result of an injury after a legal check right whether it's officials, whether it's player safety, you're looking for the act itself to see if it was worth a penalty or suspendable offense. The outcome, the fact that there was an injury on the play doesn't change what happened. So you can't use that as your justification for a penalty. It was a clean shot. I remember, you know, we had an epidemic years ago of guys cutting across the center of the ice with their head down and, and just getting lit up and lots of head injuries that came out of that. It seems like the the new red zone to worry about is coming around behind the net like Lindholm was. And he had his head down. He's coming up around the boards and just gets lit up by Svechnikov. So an area to watch out for. But like you said, Todd, legal hit and an unfortunate outcome. Another situation in this game was late in the game. This this game had uh, devolved quite significantly. Brett Pesci with a slash late in the game on Brad Marchand. There was there was a couple of slashes actually, and they were one got higher than the other before the the whistle finally blew. I, I could see a little more coming out of this one. I don't think he's getting suspended, but I think he's going to be a little lighter in the pocketbook. But it was just one minor penalty after another in this game. It was. They were they were piling up. It, I don't want to say the game was getting out of control, but it was certainly one of those situations where, as, a, as an official, you're telling the teams that you're going to call it tight. They know what the standard is. And I think the officials did a good job of sticking to that standard, which is why we saw so many penalties. They were earned. They were deserved. This is what they started early in the game, and it carried through. So for people who are frustrated with playoff hockey or with guys putting the whistles away, it looks like the league is operating under the approach this year that they're calling it consistently from start to finish and they're calling it like they would in the regular season. So it worked out for lots of penalties. Now, if it's me, I'm, I'm probably going with some dimes out there. I'm, I'm handing out 10 minute misconducts to clean up the ice a little bit when all this nonsense or shenanigans taking place after the whistle. But hey, whatever works. And in this case, it was just a boatload of minors. It was. We'll see what comes of this as the playoffs move forward. There was an interesting uh, an interesting piece from Scott Burnside on, on social media. He reported that the commissioner, Gary Bettman himself, made an appearance on the pre-playoff conference call that the league always has with the teams and said the refs were not to be treated as punching bags. In other words, 
be careful what you say about the officiating. Notice given. Wow. Yeah, that's that is a a nice supportive comment by Bettman. But I, you know, don't set these guys up either. Don't, don't give us. Don't put that in somebody's head that they they might need to be targeted there because we know that criticisms of the officials always are are out there. But especially in playoffs, when each goal and each penalty is more and more important. So I I think the league has done a pretty good job of standing by the officials and and going after folks who comment. Maybe a. a allowing them to call the games the way they have will will help support the officials case it, it seems like for the most part they've been called pretty evenly and consistently and if only we could get some better explanations on some of those calls maybe we'd, we'd hit the trifecta there todd of, of really winning some support for the refs yep that's it a little transparency is always helpful provides a little enlightenment and i cite the spicy pork reference as uh, <laughs> as, as confirmation of that